We're coming to the end of our sermon series through the book of Revelation. Next week, Pastor Brad will preach on Revelation 21, when our town center campus is going to be meeting in person at the Evergreen Cultural Center in Coquitlam. That's so exciting. If you're just jumping into our study on Revelation, (laughs) well, you have jumped into the deep end today. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. Listen, if you haven't listened to any of our other sermons on this book, you should go back and start at the beginning. I know our church has loved going through this book, and I've personally found it very rewarding. This is a series of sermons that builds on each other, and it would serve you a lot better if you worked through it slowly, slowly. Now, the book of Revelation is about why, not when. The author's words throughout the book light up the imagination with images that speak about victory, victory but uniquely Christian victory. Revelation is about why Christian belief is not just an opioid for the masses enabling us to share in therapeutic prayers for hard times. Not at all, not in the slightest. The message of the revelation, as John artistically and prophetically expresses it, leads us to one of two things, to either hope in God or to dread of our own death and what comes after. The book of Revelation challenges your perception of the world as it seems to be. And the kind of hope that Revelation inspires is not wishful thinking. Not at all. It's gritty. It's important. It's it's invasive. It's challenging. It's life and death. That's what Revelation is. The cosmic images of heaven and hell, of angels and dragons, Trumpets and world wars are packed, absolutely packed with meaning and have profound implications for my life and for your life. From the very beginning of the book, the reader is invited to overcome, to be a conqueror, but to be a conqueror like Jesus. As we come to the end of the book and step out into the deep water, we need to ground ourselves in what we know about the revelation We need to hold on to some things as we step out into this chapter. This book is a book of apocalyptic prophecy. That's its genre. And so actually the way it talks about meaning is very different than most of the Bible. Revelation is actually a vision that was received by John, which he then crafted very intentionally uh, for delivery to seven churches and really the church in ancient Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. And this book is meant to give those churches a collection of of images, of counter images, which picture a different perspective of the world. That things are not as they seem. Things are not as they seem to be. I'm I'm not sure if you've seen The Man in the High Castle on Prime, but it's a similar concept. The images that John is communicating paint the real world, the real world of his listeners that they lived in. He paints the same reality in different colors, in heavenly colors. In his teaching on this, one of my favorite theologians, Richard Balcom, writes this. The visual power of the book affects a kind of purging of the Christian imagination, refurbishing it with alternative visions of how the world is and will be. So when we start to understand that all the imagery in Revelation is thick 
with symbolism. We realize that the images in the book should not, I repeat, should not be read as literal descriptions or as some kind of secret code. Like the rest of the Bible, Revelation must be read for its theological meaning. So imagine with me the worst experiences, the worst fears for the people of the day, the worst fears that they had. John's taken those fears and blown them up to apocalyptic proportion and tied their solution to Christian hope. And this is important, especially for today. The point is not to predict a sequence of events. It's not a Christian crystal ball. The point of the book, and especially our chapter today, is to explore the meaning of the divine judgment which is impending on a sinful world. If you have a Bible, would you open it and go with me to Revelation chapter 20? If you're not sure where that is, uh, it's way at the back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20. We'll also make sure that it's on the screen so you can follow along with me uh, as I read. Let me pray for us as we, as we go into God's word together today. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christian hope. I pray that you would help us understand this awesome passage of scripture today. Lord, help, help me, help me teach the word rightly. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we'd see the spiritual reality veiled by the physical world. Help us to hear what you're saying by your word. I pray that you would convict us and encourage our hearts to abandon the ways of the beast and live a faithful love as Jesus's people. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their, numbers, their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. 
From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books, the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this is the word of God. It's absolutely true. And it's been given to you and to me in love. And I want you to just, if you have your Bible open, to leave it there because we're going to be coming in and out of that passage today. As I said before, the content of the revelation leads us in one of two directions, either great hope in God or overwhelming dread of our own death and what comes after. Our fear of the unknown, the seemingly endless possibilities of the afterlife haunt us. And so we shut out the thoughts. We put off thinking about the end until it comes upon us like a thief in the night. But why? Why are we so fearful of death? Here in this chapter, we can see a picture of the afterlife and really what's hidden behind death's dark door. John shows us that there will not just be one, but actually two resurrections. One for those who have witnessed to Jesus and one for the rest of the earth. And John also shows us that there is a second death of, lake, of, of the lake of fire. Besides that, uh, he also demonstrates God's awesome power to bind Satan and then set him loose in order to finally destroy him to the uttermost. But I think it's the fear of the resurrection and the fear of the second death that nurses our avoidance of this passage. Is it true? Will I be, will I be resurrected with the saints? How can I know? Is my name in the book of life? Or will I face judgment and death for a second time? In the scriptures, John shows us the answer to these questions by what he has seen. Okay, so look with me at verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In this verse, we can see a few things that reveal who will reign with Christ. Whose names are in the book? The question we want to know, whose names is my name in that book? But before we go further, I want to reiterate, these word pictures are packed with associated meaning. And you want to be slow. I don't care how smart you are, how scholarly you are, you want to go slow to understand them. For example, the thrones, the marks of the beast, the thousand years should not be taken literally, but they should be explored for their theological meaning. 
So from verses four to seven, I think we're given the key to understand really the bulk of this chapter. We answer those questions. Who will reign with Christ? Who does God give thrones to? Who are the ones who will be given authority to judge? Who are the ones who will overcome the second death? John answers these. It is those who bear witness about Jesus. First, John sees the martyrs enthroned on thrones of authority with crowns of glory, those who have been beheaded for giving testimony to Jesus Christ and the word of God, the people who have given their lives for the gospel, that Jesus is king, that political power is not the final authority, Jesus is. Secular ideas, agnostic notions of pluralism actually lead to death. Life is only found in Jesus Nobody else is king, only Jesus. No other belief systems will be enough. Only Jesus is enough. And these people were killed, killed for their faith and their unwavering witness. But by their death, they conquered. In giving their life away, they receive a crown of glory and a throne of authority. These are the ones who reign with Christ. Three years ago, I was uh, studying this book in Turkey and Greece, and we traveled to Patmos, where John received this vision and wrote the book of Revelation. And I remember walking into the church that was built on the site where they think he stayed. And when I walked into the entryway of the dark old church building, my eyes were drawn upward. And running along the border of the wall, there were these fascinating uh, frescoes ancient artwork depicting the scriptures. And I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't what I saw. The pictures were gruesome images of people being slain. And looking closer, you could see the artist signifying that they were martyrs by dressing them in a white robe and giving them halos. This was the church's front door. I was taken back. I was, I was really blown away by it. It left me with the impression and the, and the message that church isn't an add-on to do-it-yourself faith or to DIY faith. Jesus' life and message is not a part of a religious framework. A Christianity is not just some religious affiliation you have. Jesus, his teaching, what he calls you to is not simply to live a good life and give some religion to your family. The church is not only a community that you belong to. The entryway question, we believe that Jesus is king and we would give our lives for it. Would you? Would I? Richard Sibbs once wrote, why should we then fear death? Which is but a passage to Christ. It is but a grim sergeant that lets us into a glorious palace, that we may be clothed with better robes, that ends all our misery and is the beginning of all our happiness. It is but a departure to a better condition. It is but as Jordan to the children of Israel by which they passed to Canaan. It is but as the Red Sea by which they were going that way. Therefore, we have no reason to fear death. The martyrs are the ones who reign with Christ. But there's another group. Praise God. There's another group. 
Look again at verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark, they came to life and raised with Christ. Those who die for their faith reign with Christ. And those who refuse to worship the beast reign with Christ. The central conflict throughout the book of Revelation is evil's resistance of the sure and forthcoming reign of God, of his love, and the truth that Jesus is king. And if you followed with us in the series this far, you'll know that the images of the beast, right, those images discerned for their theological meaning, represent the political cult power of the day. Rome and the worship of its lifestyle. It was a pagan cult. It was like a religion tied into the state and into one. And Christians who refused to go along, to go along with the way of the world and the way things are, were were persecuted for it. Socially, were persecuted for it economically. They were pushed out of the picture, cursed as intolerant. They were actually called atheists. They, they, they were refused. They were refused when they refused to worship the beast. These are the two people that John sees who reign with Christ. Those who reign with Christ are those who bear witness about him. Throughout this book, you and I are invited to become conquerors, to overcome. And in Revelation 20, we see what it means to do this. The overcomers, the ones who conquer, are the ones who bear faithful witness about Jesus no matter what. Famine, hardship, sword, that if we continue in steadfast and faithful witness, we conquer. One of the major ironies I see here is the delusion Satan and evil are under. As Stephen, right, in the book of Acts, was stoned to death, evil rejoiced in killing another faithful witness. As Jesus' brother James was killed by the sword, I'm sure the dragon puffed out his chest. As Peter was crucified upside down, I imagine the cause and the, the crows and the applause of demons. But what they didn't know is that it was by death that these disciples defeated evil, and it was by their faithful witness that they conquered and overcame. And so we see in verse 6, blessed, blessed is the Holy One. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. The ones who are resurrected with the saints, the people whose names are written in the book of life, the blessed and holy people who overpower the second death of hell and the lake of fire, are those who give a faithful witness, those who testify to Jesus Christ as king. They are called the priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him and vanquish evil forever. And that's what this text is saying to us. And so what 
what do we need to do in order to be called that priest of God? What do I need to do? What do you need to do in order to be called a priest of God, to conquer and to reign with him? We need to bear faithful witness, and that means two things. Number one, we, we must be willing to give our lives for the gospel, should we be asked. And number two, we need to refuse to worship the beast. The Apostle Paul writes along these lines in some really helpful language in Colossians 3, um, verses 1 through 4. Look what he says here. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul shows us in this text what it means to refuse to worship the beast and to worship God instead. We seek God's perspective on our present circumstance. And we set our mind or we set our affections, we set our heart on God and not on material things. So what does it mean to seek God's perspective on your present circumstance? When we are faced, when you're faced with difficulty, you need to seek after what God has for you and not what your own pride or selfish ambition desires. You're enabled to do this when you get a hold of the bigger picture. And that's what Revelation 20 is for us. It's God showing us that we're meant to be glorified judges of the earth reigning with him in his kingdom. You got to get a bigger picture of what life is about, that God is preparing you for glory. God is preparing you to reign with him. It's like a father who, who sees the, the short-sighted perspective of his child and picks them up and places them on his shoulders and says, look, can you see now why I've called you to live, this, live and be this way? See the world for how it really is and not as it seems to be. And that's how we seek God. We, we get a picture of, of the bigger picture. And what does it mean for, our, for, for us to set our mind or our affections on God and not material things? We're to set our mind on the things above, right? As Colossians says, not below. The word mind here is referring to our thought life, what we think about, but also carries with it the sense of our, our heart or our greater affections. I've often heard Preachers use the word affection, and I well-meaningly but incorrectly applied affections to my emotions. Uh, this is not what it means to set our affections on God. It's like deciding to love a family member or deciding to love your spouse. When we decide to do it, we set our affections on them. This is what we must do also with God, and we start to see his ways and his kingdom take effect in our life. Then we see more and more how we no longer desire the world or what it has to offer us. We don't see the glory and the prominence that we used to. Instead, we see the beast. And so how do we become the ones who reign forever with God? How do we know our name is written in the book of life? Really simply, we confess with our lips that Jesus is king. We ask him, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And we reorient our lives around him, around what he calls us to live like. We actually follow that through in every area of our life. We refuse to worship the ways of the beast, to chase the way of the world. Instead, we worship Jesus. 
and join him in his ministry of reigning. In Ephesians 2, Paul shows us that Christ has invited us into Jesus' ministry, into his reigning. Even now, as we're listening to this, even now as we read this scripture, this is Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, here's the perspective, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I know that as you've been walking through Revelation, uh, you've also been following along with Daryl Johnson's commentary on it. And I like what he said about this chapter, and I think it helps us apply this truth to our hearts today. What John, the writer, has made very clear in the rest of the Revelation is that Jesus reigns now as the lamb, not as the lion. He reigns by giving himself away for sinners. He reigns by suffering for and with sinners. And we reign by suffering for and with sinners. Do you realize that every act of servanthood, every choice to suffer with and for others is an act of reigning with the reigning lamb? I know many of you have recently started walking with our church, especially through this pandemic. And I want you to know that you are so welcome with us. I want to make sure you have, you have what you need to know what it means to follow Jesus and align your life to his way. If you're looking for help as to how to do that, we'd be happy to, happy to pray with you, happy to answer any questions about this. As I, as I close today, I want to encourage you to be a faithful witness. Be a faithful witness to the grace that you have received if you feel God speaking to you and convicting you toward love, toward holiness, listen to his voice and follow his leading. Refuse the beast and worship God. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for uh, this congregation in town center. Lord, I pray for them today. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would show them your kindness, show them your love. God, as we, uh, as we long to, be, to live like the priests that you have called us to be, as we long to live out this calling of priestly love in our world, to suffer with and for sinners, to join Jesus Christ in reigning now. Lord, would you help us by your spirit, encourage our hearts today. Father, for those that are, that are listening to this sermon, and are convicted to follow Jesus, to leave the ways of the world, to leave the beast behind, and to give their life and align their life to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd be so close with them even now, that they would feel and experience your love. Lord, we just pray a prayer and we dedicate their life to you. Lord, we thank you for them, and we pray that you would walk with them, that they would know your peace. Lord, we thank you for today, for your word. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys as you go.